Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good. Let me blur my background there. Oh, that's <laughs> so thanks for saying yes. Oh, please. This is great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. We were thrilled when we first, when we met Michelle and she instantly was like, you have to meet my boss. You have to meet him. You guys are on the same page about everything. <laughs> yep. You're going to, you're going to like each other. And yeah. it was right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That, that, I'm glad Michelle introduced us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, we speak so much of the same language, your books and your website and your blog. It's really synergistic, especially our mindset piece of our five foundations, but, you know, kind of wraps all all around it. We'd love to introduce our special guest today, Michael Edmondson. You are a prolific writer and entrepreneur and creator, and so... We wanted to do this interview to chat with you about that. Tap into that a little bit. Sure. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, when you first sent the link and we landed on navigatethechaos.com oh, yeah. Yeah. and there's this, these 12 strategies, this mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. body, and spirit, and these four strategies in each one. And there is where so much of the language popped out and um the first one, which is a, a mantra of ours, is to welcome a growth mindset. Yes. Right, right. And so what is that defined for you? Sure. So just, you know, quick 30-second, you know, overview. I got those 12, I mean, the mind, body, spirit, and then the four for each one, the 12 total, right? Basically, I've spent, I don't know, 10 years writing Navigate the Chaos and updating it frequently. And actually, today's post about the tools uh, for uh, living is a brand new post for this year. I've used, reused a lot of them. And I each year, I kind of give myself a new assignment. And this year's assignment was, well, how in the world do I condense this? If someone only had like five minutes to understand all 365 posts, like, you know, what would I say? And so I kind of gave myself that assignment. So those 12 became a summary of all 365. So I say all that because if you look at all 365 posts, there are several that fall under the growth mindset, you know, component. And I think, um, you know, I'm always trying to think of, keep it short, Michael, because I could just talk for an hour <laughs> nonstop. Uh, it's kind of insane. Uh, to me, a growth mindset just means being comfortable, being uncomfortable, yeah. allowing yourself to fall, Surrounding yourself with people that will not judge you, uh, but support you and realize that anyone that's ever accomplished anything in life has taken a risk, has gotten uncomfortable and maintains a commitment to lifelong growth. However, that looks, you know, and it looks differently for other people, for for people. Um, I'm not a big believer in best practices. I don't, I think you really have to consider the, the nuances and the uniqueness of the individual or the organization. Uh, I'm not talking about like accounting best practices that you don't wind up in jail. Sure. Yeah. You want to do best practices, you know, so that you're legally safe. But in terms of like, you know, when you turn to personal growth, things are different for, you know, everyone's got a different life situation. And the reason why this is free, like the cast is free. Most people don't have any money. (laughs) So, um, you know, I wanted it to be accessible to everybody. And I posted on Facebook and Instagram each day and, it's kind of just taking a life of its own. Um, but yeah, I think a growth mindset is um, 
It's either that or being um, dis- self-disciplined as the key to growth. I mean, they, there's a marriage there, but some people are better at being uncomfortable than they are being disciplined and vice versa. So, um, but it's all comes down to the mindset. I mean, I'm a first gen college graduate from lower, lower, lower middle class Southwest Philly who just kept going to school. I mean, I just, I had a growth mindset at 16. I just didn't know what it was called. Right. <laughs> I just didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, you yeah. know, I was just, I understood or I enjoyed running. So then I joined cross country and then did track and field and, but so I kind of was putting myself in growth mindset life situations. And then I started doing research and I'm like, oh, this is what I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I hope that answers your question. I mean, I can continue, but you got to interrupt me. And <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think so much of, well, we don't like to be uncomfortable. It's not a natural, right? No, fear. No, fear makes us uncomfortable. And so, right. so the growth mindset is really having that be kind of the thought process moving through our life, it can help us really unwind a lot of tight stories and assumptions. Mm -hmm. And um, if we just bring it down to food, which is something that so many people struggle with, if we have a growth mindset, we're not putting ourselves in all these little boxes all the time. So our our relationships, right. Our talk to ourselves, our jobs, our, uh, the people we love, uh, our romantic partners, you know, just go down the list, right? We stay in certain environments or ecosystems because they're comfortable. Oh, of course. And you see this all the time with jobs, right? People will stay in a job 25 years to retire early. Yeah, but you've complained every day of your 25 years working, whatever it is that was, because you wanted to retire at 45. Right. I, I get that. Okay. Congratulations. But what are you going to do? Start living at 45? I mean, it's fine. Again, and I don't judge. Like, whatever people want to do is absolutely fine with me. As long as you're not committing, like, a crime, uh, you know, do live your life the way that you want. But you really owe it to yourself to take a risk in life and get uncomfortable as much as possible. And that scares a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Well, what you're bringing up is what we always talk about with our clients is limiting beliefs. And that's sort of a, um, I would say that's a pandemic (laughs) in the world is that we all have, we all have them, some a lot more than others. And those limiting beliefs, they keep us put, they keep us from experiencing things because we say we can't, or we won't, or we shouldn't. And that's the language we try to make our clients aware of that these words are so damaging in so many ways Mm -hmm. um and so you you address that in so many ways and the fact that you're in education of course thank goodness you're in education yeah yeah. (laughs) you need more people to kind of blow that up because so many people go on this track of this is what i'm gonna do like you just said and this is where i'm going and they don't think outside the box right the limiting talk when you're in the chaos right um can be very damaging, but you have to know what it is. You have to see it, you have to feel it, you have to hear it. And I have conversations with myself more than anybody else. And so like, I will be processing something and then I'm like, oh God, you're such an idiot. Like you're not processing this right. And like you go on, I I have people I talk to 
um, you know, and they don't know what I'm doing, but I'm processing my thoughts because I, and it's usually like, you know, pretty um, innocuous topics, right? It could be work-related nonsense, uh, but I have different people that I will talk to to help me process stuff. And then usually in that conversation, I unlock my limited talk that I was telling myself. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, what they just said was unprompted. So yeah, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I think, but, but you have to know what you're doing. I mean, it's self-care and a lot of people don't have that awareness, right? I think that's so hard to keep that self-awareness, especially when you're working to pay bills and you've got a sick mom or a sick dad, or, you know, if you've got kids, forget about it. It's complete chaos with little kids. Um, so you don't have any time, right? And unfortunately, so much of it does come back to money, like who's struggling to pay bills, who's working two jobs to make ends meet. Lately, some things have happened to remind me that we never know what struggles people are going through. I found out a few things about people that I know that, wow, they're really going through some tough times, really tough times. So I was like, ay, ay, ay. Okay, so it's just a good reminder. Don't judge people. You don't know what the hell they're going through. And it is those people that have really they probably lack the self-talk that they need mm -hmm. because they, they can't see it. Like there's too much chaos right now, right? right? They're battling cancer or they're borrowing money just to make rent, right. you know, or whatever. They can't put food on the table because of an unexpected bill. Right, right. Uh, and then they're ashamed of that. Then they feel guilty. They feel like a failure. And they don't want to hear about self-talk. They don't want to hear about navigating the chaos. Well, you know, you were talking about the people who have a lot of challenges in their life too, and not being aware of, the limiting beliefs that they have and and not having the tools because their parents didn't have the tools because Correct. their life may have right. even been more chaotic. You know, it, right. it's, it's, it's all about that. And so if we can, just like you did, it's that one mm -hmm. person that can introduce mm -hmm. that idea to them, that little seed. And that's what we're hoping too. You know, our right. podcast is free. And so sure. we hope that people can listen to it and take these little things and become aware of things that perhaps they weren't before. I love right. that analogy of the seed too, because it's really just, it, we, we walk through life sometimes not understanding the impact we have on other people. And so 100%, sure. your, your daily, you know, questions, your, mm. what you put out daily can really unlock something so beautiful in someone and they yeah. can, they can really turn their life around. Yeah, it's interesting, like some people, like, I don't know who reads it. And honestly, I, part of me doesn't care because it's, it's all for me. I do all this for me. I'm a completely <laughs> selfish person. And I just share it because I'm like, well, maybe someone will find this. Right, sure. And so well, you're practicing years, unattachment, right? Right. You're, you're so unat I'm unattached. unattached, correct. Yeah, I make very little money from it. I don't care to make money. I have a day job that makes the money. Um, I think, you know, and because it dovetails into a passion project, but yeah, some people will like comment or message me or text me if they have my cell about how significant that post was. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, it was significant for me and I'm glad you found it, you know, yeah. a value, but I wanted to get back to, you know, those that struggle and I, and I just, because I think I was one of those people. Mm. So what I, my current struggle is, you know, once you have a PhD, then you become a doctor. So people see me a certain way oh, before yeah. knowing me. Right. Right. There was an interview by Josh Brolin in the New York Times. And of course, most of what I sprue out is in one of my posts. 
um, and, and uh, Josh Brolin. It was like the summer of Josh Brolin. It was a few years ago when he was in like every movie known that came out that summer, pre obviously pre-pandemic. And he was talking about uh, an early movie, Courage Under Fire. I don't know if you heard of this movie. I think it was Meg Ryan yeah. uh, and I uh, forget who else was in it. But he did not get the role. And the interviewer from the New York Times said, oh, you didn't get the, and I forget the, the actor of the lead role. You didn't get so-and-so's you know, part. And Josh Brolin, you know, he stopped in the interview and he kind of laughed and he you know, smiled and he said, you see me as now, but I was never now. I was a struggling nobody actor. I tried out for a tertiary part that didn't even have a speaking line. And so I kind of remind myself that like I see the two of you now, but you were never now. There used to be a prior self that I never knew. Right. And so I try to remind people, yeah, you see me as now, yes, and you can draw any conclusions you wish, but you didn't know me at 28. You didn't know me when the kids were little, we didn't have a lot of money. I was struggling to get the PhD finished, working full time, complete chaos. You know what I mean? Like you didn't know. Yeah. So you see me as now and I was never now. And so I gave a talk, I did a workshop two weeks ago right now, I guess to community college officials up in uh, New York state in Saratoga Springs. And, you know, I kind of talked about that. Like, I see all of you now and you're in positions of power, but I don't know your struggle. I don't know how long it took. I don't know what you had to give up. I don't know the discipline it required. I don't know the rejections you had to overcome. Um, I have no idea. And if we we have that understanding, then, because that's why I'm always when I talk to people and it drives my friends and Michelle crazy. Like, I kind of ask questions to get, into your background like oh how are you here why are you here like today like actually michelle and i just did this at lunch the other day i said how did you get here how did you how are you sitting here yeah you know and i i know her story but you know we were doing it to just to go through the process and to really show her like this is important to do for everybody absolutely you know i see people at a store and they're working and i'm like how'd you get here yeah and a lot of times it's like i just need extra money Right. But anyway, yeah, you might see me as now, but I was never now. I love that. Well, there is. I love that. This the now. And it's almost like in a reverse for our clients who are showing up, not their best selves right now. Correct. You know, and they are not there now. You know, there's there was another part of them that maybe had felt wonderful and great and and vibrant. And the reason they're here now is because they're not. But for us to understand, how do you view yourself? Because it's right. not, you're right, it's not the now that they see themselves. They see But themselves. I think it's, the onus is on us, and I'll just pick on the three of us because we're talking. Like, <laughs> if when we're helping people or like explaining something or guiding them through a process or whatever, they easily can, because they have, and I'll pick on myself, and they'll say, well, that's easy for you to say, Michael. You have your PhD. You have a position of power and authority. You're, you know, you're this, you have written, you know, eight books. And I'm like, yeah, I have, right, sure. But let's talk about what it took to get there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they could easily do that to you too. Like, oh, look at you two women. You have it all together. You got your business. You have this, you have the podcast. Isn't that nice? You're, you know, you're, you're put together. You dress well, your hair is great, you know? And sorry, I don't have great hair like you, you know? And so 
to me, it's always important for people like us to remind the people we're working with or presenting to that I was never now. Like, you know, yeah, I'm now today, but this is a lot of work. Yeah. And that's the message that a lot of people don't want to hear, right? Right. right. It's, it's a lot of work. Yep. You, 100%. It's a yeah. lot of work, which brings me to another one of the similar language that I really, we, we liked is the grit you know, showing yeah. up with grit. Yeah. And so do you have any ideas about grit? Do you want to share a story of your own grit? Do you want to sure, ask sure. to you know, yeah. podcast listeners? What's yeah. a gritty story, your own or someone else's? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I do, um, I'll do a cerebral one and a physical one. Okay. So getting a PhD in history on average takes about eight years. It's one of the most arduous PhDs. It's usually why we're the most arrogant, although English, English PhDs give us a run for, the, for our money. Because um, we write the stories, right? Yep. When you write the story, you control the narrative. When you control the narrative, you maintain usually power and authority. So, um, and some historians will disagree with me, but at the end of the day, that's what we do. We tell stories right. to control the narrative. Um, and how well you do that, you know, depends upon your, basically your level of research uh, and uh, ability to be persuasive. So... Well, then I started the PhD, I had my master's when my daughter was born and I was working full time. I would go over to Philly at night and went to Temple. They, we were on the 17th floor of this building and I forced myself to walk up the steps to get exercise. Took many breaks, uh, but I still did it. And I, you know, you take classes for three or four years then you write your dissertation prospectus. Then you have to defend your, um, you've got four fields to choose from. I mean, you, get, you have four fields to select and then you have a written or a written exam in each and then you get invited to the oral exam. So I passed all those. Then you write the dissertation prospectus outlining your topic, then that has to be defended. So then you start writing. And now this is in the nineties. So email was in diapers. So I snail mailed, you know, chapters to my dissertation director and I would get them back in the mail with a word I had never heard of, marginalia, his notes in red all over the margins. And, you know, it got to a point where he was like, you're just gonna have to stop writing. You know, this is not good. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what, what is going on here? And <laughs> so, Stupid me, lesson for all listeners. Stupid me finds the foremost historian in my field, which is U.S.-Mexican relations. And I sent my dissertation that I had written to this expert in, in uh, University of Houston. Never knew me, complete cold call, right? And he emails me back. He said, this is really good work. This should be published. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if he thinks it's good, okay. So then I go to my dissertation advisor and I said, oh, I went to so-and-so and he thinks it's good. My dissertation advisor said, well, go study with him. I was like, well, no, that's not, the, that's not why I sent it to him. I'm trying to figure out why we can't connect here. And so long story really short, come to find out um, my dissertation advisor was an Eisenhower Republican and I was writing about Herbert Hoover and the Hoover Republican is different than an Eisenhower Republican. 
and I'm not going to get into it. Everyone will fall asleep. And so chapter three took me, I think, a year and a half to get through. And we eventually just decided, just skip it, leave it out, and move on to chapter four. And so there was one day, like, I'm out on my front steps just crying. Like, I am beaten. I'm like, I am not going to stop. Like, I'm just... You know, and my wife's like, do you want to stop? And I'm like, no, I just need to cry. I need to feel sorry for myself, but I'm not stopping. Like, it's just not possible. Like, I, I don't understand the word stop. And then that was the hump. Four, five, and six, and seven, and eight, whatever, however many chapters it was. Uh, and like a year and a half later, I was done. So it was eight and a half years while working full time and, you know, doing everything else. Raising a family. So, raising a family. My wife did 99% of the work. Um, thank God. The kids are great. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, uh, the grit was, you know, I knew going in it was going to take at least eight years. I knew that. Yeah, but wow. That's a long time. It sure is. What is that, 2,500 plus days? Like, it's a long time. Yeah. 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 And I think... Going into something, you need to know that, okay, it's not, actually, one of my upcoming Navigate to Chaos posts, I just prepped it in the next week or two, is uh, there's no such thing as the overnight success myth. You know, there's just, you don't succeed overnight. It's not nonsensical. Nope. So once I finished the PhD, my next story of great was, okay, I'm exhausted. You know, mentally, like I, I've, I'm a doctor now. Thank God. We're moving on. And I had always wanted to do triathlons, but to do a triathlon, you need to be able to swim. I couldn't swim. I couldn't put my feet in water without a severe panic attack. And so I called around because I let the universe decide a lot of things. Corny, but it works. And I had called like three or four swim coaches. Only one returned my call, Tracy. She became my swim coach. And so we meet and she's like, okay, I'll teach you how to be water safe. And to be water safe, you know, you float on your back. You feel good. And so she tries you know, straight down. You know. Now, I had been running for 15 years at this point and biking, like, you know, the running and the biking, you know, all that stuff was rock solid. I had done the Boston Marathon. I'm in decent, decent shape, um, but never, you could never swim. Couldn't, couldn't even get in water. Who was that kidding? And so she said, okay, your legs go to the bottom of the pool all the time. Zero fat on them because of all the way you worked out, all running, all cycling, all, all muscles on the legs. And you're petrified of water. I have to rethink how I teach you. So I'm going to teach you to swim first, and then I'll teach you how to be safe in the water. Interesting. So thank God she did that. But then it took about six months just for me to go the length of a pool. Right. Because I couldn't swimming is completely different than anything else that I had ever done. And I had to be comfortable, you know, just learning all the technique. I mean, I just it was for me, it was very complicated. And so we worked on it and we worked on it and we worked on it. And then I was able to swim a lap and then two laps and then three laps. And then she said, OK, here's what you're going to do. So the, the 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 process she told me to be water safe. Oh, then I had to go in deep water for the love of God. What a disaster that was. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm 32, 33. She's in her late 20s. She was getting married. And like every time in the deep water, I was holding on to her. I'm like, I am so sorry. Like, this is wildly inappropriate. She goes, Michael, you know, if I let you go, we're in 12 feet of water. You're going to drown. She goes, don't worry about it. 
Meanwhile, these little freaking kids are bebopping all over <laughs> the pool. And I'm like, oh, goddamn kids, get away from me. So, you know, and not even with swimmies on, right? They're just having fun in 12 feet of water. So she put me on the diving board and it was only like, you know, two feet off, you know, whatever. And she, and she sat on the far end. I sat on the wall and over the water. And she said, I, I have to leave here in two hours. You have two hours to jump in. I'm like, I can't, I can't jump in. Like, what are you doing, Tracy? And she said, you're fine. I'm right here. You're going to jump in and swim to the side. You already know how to swim. See, she, the limit, limitless, you know, the limited talking, right? Yep. And I said, oh, I do know how to swim. I just now have to tell myself I can go in 12 feet of water, wait for a minute to come up and then swim to the side. It was an entire conversation I needed for my head. And so I eventually did it. And then she said, okay, here's, I can stop coaching you when I know you're water safe and to be water safe, you're going to jump in the water, the high end, the deep end of the pool. You're going to then hold on to the side. You're going to swim to the middle of the pool and then do a flip turn. No wall, no wall. Do a flip turn, flip turn in the deep end in the middle and then swim back. Because that way I know you can control your breath, your stroke, your kick, you're fine. And so I did that. And to this day, every time I'm in a pool, I do that exercise. I go into the deep end, I push off, I do a flip turn in the middle first time a little anxiety uh but then i'm like michael you can just swim just swim yeah. so it took me two years of constant swimming lessons and then i did an open water triathlon in brigantine new jersey in the bay and then the you know the rest is history and i did triathlons for a couple of years but you know training for a triathlon is like a part-time job so then i just said okay i'm done Right. Then I became a yoga teacher. And that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> Well, it's a beautiful story that both nice. stories are really uh, helpful stories for people to hear about grit and that it, it takes time and attention mm -hmm. and the simplicity too, of breaking down the simplicity. We try to overcomplicate things, mm -hmm. you know, and oh, we're, uh, we're great at complicating things. Yeah, we really yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. And the, that two years and that eight and a half years, they, they weren't sexy and they weren't, you know, oh, they, they were ugly. <laughs> they were hard. Yeah. yeah. They felt disastrous. And then, yeah. you, and then you did it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I cried all people. the time. I'm like, I'm a loser. <clears throat> Do you know what it's like being a grown man in a pool with little kids? Like, yeah. talk about unmanly. And I'm like, I'm not masculine at all. Look, like, and for a tough guy from Philly, like I had to put my ego in the trunk of my car yeah, yeah, and let right. my ego go. That's right. Yeah. Because I kept my eyes on the prize. What right. did I want to do? Right. I wanted to be a triathlete. Right. And the coolest thing was, I guess, how old was Amanda, our daughter? At that point, she was probably 91, 01, 10, 11, 12, 12, probably around there. And so she would run, you know, in the triathlon, you, and there's transition zones, right? Swim to bike, bike to run. So she would like kind of run with me in the transition zone and say, all right, daddy, come on, you got to get on the bike, you know? And I'm like, okay, so that's really cool. But I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to do that yeah. if I didn't go through the process and yep. the, pain the pain and the yeah. discomfort of right. learning how to swim. Yep. Let yep. me tell you, I was embarrassed. Like I was literally embarrassed. Yeah. And what a loser. Like, I'm like. Michael, you're pathetically, like I had to set this self-talk, like I can beat myself up. 
but just keep doing it. Like you can say those things as long as you keep doing what it is that you're right. trying to do. So what do you say now about the result of being able to say, I've done several triathlons and I can swim any, any body of water? What, what do you say now? What's the language you use for yourself now? Well, I parlay that into becoming an author and a yoga teacher. Like, see, the PhD and the swimming and the triathlon, but they were there just a foundation. And then I stopped running altogether. After 25 years, I had had, and I mean, my knees hurt a little bit, but I was just bored with it. Yeah. Just bored. I mean, I ran everything from 100 meters to a marathon. I'm like, okay, I've done it all, whatever. <laughs> Same thing with triathlons. Uh, I'm like, okay, I did those, but yeah. now what? Yeah. yeah. And so what I hadn't done was, I'm like, all right, Michael, you're getting older. You're in your 40s. Flexibility is key as you get older. And so I, I walked into a yoga shala uh, by my house. I knew, I knew nothing. I knew how to spell yoga. That was it. <laughs> I, I was, I'm so clueless. And I said, hi, what do I do? And um, Lisa was my first teacher. And after like a first vinyasa class, she said, you need Ashtanga. You're like type A maniac. You need Ashtanga. I'm like, I don't even know how to spell that word you just said. What am I doing? And so, you know, I studied Ashtanga, but that, what I learned was there's various types of yoga. Learned two things. There's various types of yoga. You know, Ashtanga, Vinyasa, Yin, three primary, primary ones. Yeah, and each uh, approach to yoga has a different like objective. But also... I studied becoming and I became a certified yoga teacher because I wanted to learn about more about yoga. And so, you know, you study Sanskrit when you become a teacher. And I understood the word, finally, the, what the word yoga means. Of course, in the West, we bastardize everything. Absolutely. Yoga means has nothing to do with flexibility. Right. Zero, in fact, right, right. zero. That's right. Yoga means the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. Stop the mind, right? That's the point. The poses or the asanas, right? The poses, the postures, hopefully will prepare your mind to cease right. in savasana, the final pose. So once I started to learn that, I kind of fell in love with it because yeah. the older I've gotten, so the more responsibility I've taken on. And then I, I stumbled upon, um, this is kind of entrepreneurial. If you want to go down there later, we can. I don't want to go there now. now. Uh, but I found an author by complete happenstance. Uh, and then I started writing. So I learned that to write properly, I had to clear my mind. Mm. You know what I mean? A kind of like rebooting the computer type right. thing. Because I can only write an hour to maybe three a day. Uh, I can't write for extended periods of time. That's then I did research. period of time for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I found out was, you know, even the, um, and I'm not... I'm not, I shouldn't even include myself in the same sentence, but it's for illustrative purposes only. You know, the best writers in the world and, and throughout history really only wrote four hours tops a day. That's it. You know, they just, they realized that that was their creative amount of time. And then the rest of the day, they had tea, they had, they went to their girlfriend's house, they went to yep. their, you know, back to their uh, spouse. Yep. Yeah. Went to the uh, or bar. whatever the case, they had to go to the bar. <laughs> they went to their part-time job. I mean, they right. had or full-time job. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So I learned so much during. It was interesting, like yoga and writing kind of paralleled one another, and that's where I'm at now. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, I hope that answered your question. A bit well, you know, I want to go. I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about swimming in the pool, mm -hmm. and what I loved is what you said 
you knew how to swim and you've done it a bunch of times, but every time you get into the pool, you still have a little bit of anxiety. Oh, and 100%. Yeah. I love that you said that because it yeah. goes right back to what you were saying before is I am not myself now. And it's uh, right. It's, mm-hmm. and we all have to recognize that. And it's almost like this little reminder that the universe provides to us to keep us humble in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a Sanskrit word for that. And it's where we get the word scar sanskara so sanskar is an imprint of an experience on our life oh. and sanskars are positive negative and neutral and so we think of scars right emotional scars right. you know physical scars mental scars and so on once i learned that i started reflecting on my life experiences differently and so the water the deep end of the pool specifically is yeah. a, a, a sanskar that's left an imprint it's not positive or negative it's kind of neutral Mm -hmm. Right. Because it represents a time in my life that I committed to self-growth. But it's also a reminder that you can do something hard and you learn to do something hard when you were older. So go jump in the deep end again. And there are times when I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to jump in. I'll just go in the shallow end and I'll walk over to the deep end along the wall and Mm -hmm. do my, you know, and I'm like, doesn't matter, Michael, just go swim to the middle of the pool and turn around and do a flip turn and go back. And then, you know, uh, Joan Didion, the great American author, uh, uh, once quoted, you know, I've already said goodbye to a a few people I used to be. And Mm -hmm. I love that quote, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I wasn't that. I'm I'm just not that who I was. And thank God. But there are many, there are many people who are in their 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s, that are kind of the same person that they yep. were. Yeah. You know what I mean? At 18, they never oh, left yeah. high school, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, uh, if they've done that by choice, that's fine. But I think sometimes, um, oh, there's a Russian philosopher that said most people just go, you know, through life uh, like sleepwalking. Yeah, they're up and around, but they're sleeping. Yeah. You like know, zombies. Like zombies, right. Yeah. And, you know, Brian Cox, the actor, I just finished reading his autobiography, you know, Putting the Rabbit in the Hat, uh, which is a great phrase, uh, if you think about it. Um, he had talked about the struggles he had in his life and the tools he used to kind of wake himself up. And I, I actually it was quite impressive. Uh, the last chapter of the book was last maybe 20 pages of the book was so meaningful for me because wow. um, he's so accomplished. I mean, my God, there's like, probably over a thousand people that he names in the book. You know, he started acting at 15 and now in London and he's been stage, you know, TV, movies. Uh, now he's, he's the lead character on Succession, the HBO series. He's got a fascinating life story, but, you know, you read it and you're like, God, he, he had heartache, he had tragedy. His daughter was in a serious life situation at one point, like, <laughs> It just, you know, you have to constantly remind yourself that you yeah. don't know what someone else is going through. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're all human, right? We yeah. Have- we forget that though. When we look at someone that's accomplished, Yeah. Yep. you know, they're like, oh, you bleed too. Yeah. And you put your pants on the same way I do. And right. yeah. Yeah. It's just that they have figured out something. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think it, is it different for men and women? I think it is. I really, I really think it is. Well, yeah, our zippers uh, are on the opposite side. Correct. hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I just think women have a whole other aspect that men 
don't really have to worry about, sadly. You know, and I haven't written about this at all because uh, I don't write about politics or gender, but I do <laughs> like to talk about it. But there is a physical component of being a woman that, is it there for men kind of? But, you know, the whole weight issue for women is just, it's it just hangs over their life like this dark cloud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people excuse men for being overweight. It's not even talked about More really. So. But for more. women, right, this whole thin inspiration on social media for young women, I mean, that's a real psychological problem for young women. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't want to go down that route. But I do think like when you're talking to people, you need to know like who you're talking to and to help them understand the dynamics that are involved. Because if I'm talking to someone my age, it's a man, that's a different conversation than someone that's a 24 year old woman. Like they're just wildly different conversations. You want the same thing. I mean, I coached men and women in sports. You want the same thing. You just have to have a different set of words to use. Right. Right. Well, and I have to, I have to even whittle that down to, Yes, it matters, male, male, female, although those lines are getting very blurred now anyway. Correct, for um, sure. But yeah. it's really about the individual. You know, right. it's, it's really treating every single person as a unique individual, which right. is like our society does not help us with at all. No, 100% and agree. Especially right. the diet industry. Exactly. Correct, right. correct. Right, yeah. but, but even education. It's designed to almost send, especially undergrad, you know, in sure. primary and traditional high schools, they, it's like a factory. It's just yep. pumping kids out. And so you meet a lot of people on the other end of that and see kind of the damage of that. But it's our society, not just education, but everywhere is that yeah. it wants to put us all in these boxes and sure. nobody belongs in a box. And you've yeah. demonstrated that beautifully. I love, I love what you've done. Just, yeah just a little bit that you've told us about what you've done yeah. in your life. It's like, you, you're like breaking out of that box every day. You're like, nope, I'm not going into that box. Yeah. Right. So, um, and that's what we ultimately would love for everyone to be able to do. And you're helping with that by your blog and your, just who you are and right. doing your words. So we yeah. appreciate that so much, especially because you're not doing what we're doing. You're in a completely different field. Yeah. You're right. doing what we're right. doing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but to your point, like my field is in trouble because since 2012, the statistics are very clear on this. In the last 10 years, 2012 to 2022, uh, the higher there's been four, mil, 4 million fewer students enrolled in higher education. Wow. So students don't want to come, people don't want to go to college, yeah. undergraduate and graduate level, full-time, part-time, that's everybody. The trend is like this. Oh, wow. Interesting. And that's the next 10 years look pretty bleak. And I have often argued, and I, I started teaching, left, went into for-profit work, and then came back into higher ed. And I still say that, uh, yes, there are external forces at work for sure, but a lot of the blame is in the mirror. The higher education leadership needs to look in the mirror and ask itself, well, what did, how, what did I do to contribute to this? Why don't people want to come to my college? Mm-hmm. Why don't my people want to come to my community college? Because there's so many free programs and actually the number of free programs has skyrocketed and the number of people that are eligible to go to college for free has increased, but enrollments declined. Yeah. So then you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, I can't even give my product away. 
No one wants what I'm giving for free. I'm a big, big believer of don't look at what you can't do. Look at what you can do. Because we always focus on what we can't do. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't have money for that. Okay, shut up. What can you do? Right. You know, you can do this. Oh, okay. Everywhere I go. Like I had just another quick story. It was an admin that I had uh, one time, the most irreverent uh, woman I ever worked with, made me laugh hysterically every day, politically incorrect, just Brazilian, with that heavy Brazilian accent. <laughs> and she was a fantastic worker. She had a difficult personal life. And I know it's hard in this podcast, but I'm actually a pretty good listener. So she would come in uh, and I would shut up and just let her talk and word vomit. And in this one particular Saturday after a, you know, a difficult week for her, I just texted her like, hey, how are you? Like basically, you know, hey, how are you? Four words, whatever. And she wrote back, you know, I'm doing okay. So Monday she comes in and she said, boss, thanks for treating me like a human. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like the bar is so low out there. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't buy her flowers or food or anything. It was just checking in to make sure just to see how she was doing. Yep. Let her know that I was thinking about her. Yep. And it, that taught me a lot. Yep. Like that was probably 10 years ago. And it's oh, yeah. obviously stayed with me. And I'm like, Michael, when you have a position of power, like you can really impact people. Mm -hmm. you know at the smallest uh, level right. or something like that yeah and like in another job I had I called a team meeting first time like it was like first week on the job or whatever called a team meeting and I told the admin yeah you got to come in you're part of the team she goes what do you mean I'm never invited to team meetings I said well now that I'm here you're part of the team and then after a couple months of learning how to work with me she came in one day and said thanks for giving me my voice back because I used to work somewhere when I, I couldn't speak I'm like, well, that's the most asinine thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So I don't care what your title is. You're part of my team. Right. And you had good ideas. So, and this, by the way, and I mean, probably in like 45 minutes, like you're going to understand what my therapist said years ago and who, who was the first person ever to help me understand this. And I really appreciate her teaching me this. Uh, I saw her after my dad died suddenly. Um, she said, Michael, you, you know yourself so well, you scare the shit out of most people. And I'm like, and they really stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, oh, I never thought, never had that thought cross my mind. And, and ever since it hasn't left me. So I often wonder, like, people are reacting to me maybe because they're not so sure of themselves and they don't know what to do with someone who's so sure of himself. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. I make 101 mistakes every day. There's nothing to do with perfection. Uh, but it does have everything to do with knowing who you are uh, and where you're going uh, and be willing to lear learn and try out and fail. But so many people that have titles and organizations, they're wearing a mask. You know, they're executive director, vice president, president, pick a title, it doesn't matter. Um, and in today's Navigate the Chaos post, right, I talk about the three, the three wills to living, um, power, uh, passion, power, pleasure, and meaning. Uh, so you know, it's based off of Viktor Frankl's uh, The Meaning of Life, Man's Search for Meaning, Holocaust Survivor. You know, most people have, a, you know, I think generally most people have a will to meaning, like what's the meaning, my purpose here? Um, but then that is buttressed against the will to pleasure, uh, Freud, and then the will to power, like Machiavelli and, and Alfred Adler. So a lot of people in positions of power 
lose sight of the will to meaning. They lose sight, especially in a nonprofit world of the mission statement, right? Because right. now they're in power. They're a VP, they're, pre- they're executive director, whatever. Um, and they lose sight of uh, meaning. I'm going to switch gears on us completely. Yeah, sure, but sure, I, sure. I have a practice. We have a practice that we do with our clients. We talk about the idea of end of life. We ask them, mm. how old would you like to live to? And just this idea of thinking of yourself, wh- what do you want to be known for, you know, mm. on your deathbed? And one of yeah. the things that you talked about in, in this 12 strategies is being able to stay present mm-hmm. by remembering the regrets of the dying. Five regrets of the dying, yeah. 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 And I wonder if you have any regrets that you're working on now. That, that I don't, could be like a crazy question, but I think- No, no, I love the question. Thank or, you. Or, or the question could be, do you have- a snippet that you could share with our listeners about regrets that we have and how we could let them go to be able to live fully present because we're yeah. all carrying stuff around with us. Sure. But if we let it go, we'd feel lighter and emotionally, physically, and everything. Yeah, there's a great uh, meme. It's a person holding on to this huge boulder, and the boulder is called yesterday. <laughs> and today is like, you know a mile away and it's basically, and I'm sure you've seen this, right? You can't walk forward to today or tomorrow until you let go of yesterday, that type of thing. Yeah. And I don't know if I've, I'm delusional. I probably am delusional, that's fine. Uh, I don't know if I have regrets. I think, you know, could I, would I have done things differently? If I say yes, here's the problem, right? When, when you get a PhD in history, all you do is overthink and overanalyze everything. It's, really <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a problem. It's a huge problem I have. I always over everything, everything. So I try to surround myself with people that remind me to keep it simple. If I say, yeah, I have this regret and I wish I've done some, that differently, then I'm not who I am today. Exactly, right? right. So right. what I can do is like, all right, well, don't, and I'm not, it's not even a mistake. It's like, well, think differently than you did before type of thing. Yeah. And that, sure, everyone has situations in their life, right, um, that are like sanskaras. There's the negative sanskara is the ones that kind of like are held over. We hold over our own head. I have to tell you, they working out, and I don't care if you walk. I don't care what you do. If you do something physical, it helps your cerebral, you know, your cognitive functioning. I just buried my dad seven years ago. He was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer June mm. June 30th, died July 10th. Jeez. Uh, and then I uh, just buried my mom 90 days, well, March 18th of this year. Oh, so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. So I was out in Illinois and uh, my wife and I had moved out there. And when dad died, we moved back to care for mom. And so, uh, you know, my sister and I took a lot of care for mom for the last seven years and the last seven months was just 100% chaos with mom's health as she just plummeted and eventually passed due to congestive heart failure. So like I have two deathbeds, right? In my mind, my yeah. dad's and my mom's. Yeah. And so like, especially like my mom, she was pretty with it until probably like 48 hours before she passed. And I'm just sitting there and I'm holding her hand and I know the end is near, right? And I'm like, okay, 
if you're lucky, you're going to be here and your family will be around you, Michael, but you may not be because we don't know how we're going to go. And Brian Cox in the, in his autobiography that I mentioned before, just finished reading, he said, we're just like an appliance. We just flick off and that's it. And I was like, wow, that's brutal. Um, but uh, perhaps true. So I try to like go through each day saying, all right, is today the last one? I don't know. I hope not for sure. What do I want to be remembered for? Probably if there's one word, energy. He had a lot of energy. And I think people generally like to be around people that are energy providers, not energy drainers. So when I, whoever I'm with, and I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. So it's just kind of like natural energy. I just try to remind them that, hey, I'm here for you. If there's anything I can do, you know, how can I help you navigate the chaos of life? What, what do you need? And it's often they just need someone to listen to them. I'd be lying if I didn't have an existential crisis. I'm probably still processing it because mom's death was, you know, you know, a couple months ago. And it's really challenging, right? I mean, you know, the what am I doing? <laughs> what what am I doing? Yeah. Well, um, I think that content, that's what that that's the power of the exercise is to keep right. asking us right. ourselves, you know, what right. what are we doing? Yeah. To contribute to the yeah. world. Right. Right. And look, you answer that question differently depending upon your stage of life. Uh, if you have children. Right. I mean, there's a reason why parents of young children stay the course until they're a little bit older, uh, just because they want to make sure the kids get through high school or whatever. Yep. And then they either get divorced or they launch a company right. or they start traveling the world, whatever the case is. Right. And you have to respect it. I mean, you know, they're in the throes of raising a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's complete bonkers raising children. I mean, it's just complete bonkers. If you put an ad out to be a mom or dad on Indeed, no one would apply. No. No. <laughs> Crazy. But it's still the best job in the world. It's still the best job in the world, but no one would ever apply for it. You okay. give all your money away. Yeah. Right. In fact, you just leverage everything to make sure they have a safe life. Right. You right. worry 24 <laughs> seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. 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 Well, I've, I have no doubt that you were probably one of the best dads out there. So thank you. I don't know. I mean, um, I think uh, at dinner time, I think I wore them out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure they like, appreciate it now. They're now like, they're Dad, stop talking, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think now they kind of get it, right? I mean, they're both very successful. And, you know, my son even launched his own theater collective for the LGBTQ community. And he's doing amazing work. So, yeah, I think that they kind of picked up on the energy yep. uh, and the work ethic and the approach. So, and my daughter married her girlfriend and the girls are very happily married and uh, it's wonderful to see that love. Yeah. Um, yeah. And here I am right now working on book number eight. Yay. It was yeah. a book a year for the last seven years. And the new book is going to be called uh, Nurturing, Nurturing Equanimity, Building a Caring Culture because most organizational cultures are terrible. Yep. Uh, and if anything has been demonstrated during COVID, it's that people want a more balanced approach to living and work-life. The work-life balance is a phrase I'm not sure I'm really digesting too well these days because it's more than that. Yeah. Right. It's more about a uh, balance of oneself to the rest of the universe. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, the research that I'm finding is fascinating. Yeah. Like it's all brand new research. 
I just heard on a podcast I listened to recently and they, they were talking about nature and the doctor on there was talking about our, our, the sense of awe. And she said that there are studies that show that people who have a regular sense of awe have significantly lower inflammatory markers when they've tested them. And I think it was sort of a crazy number, like 50% lower than the average person. And so I'm thinking, there you go. You, you got that. <laughs> but yes, I think we all need to foster that sense of awe and wonder because, yeah. because th there's plenty of things to do that for us. You know, but we just have to put ourselves out there to, to experience it. And you've done that. Isn't that in alignment with the growth mindset when we talked about in the very beginning? Exactly. Right? Absolutely. Bringing it full circle. Like your sense of awe is an element and a characteristic, a dynamic of a growth mindset. Absolutely. So do you have a favorite book that you wrote out of these eight books that you've yeah. published? So here's a little insight into Michael's mindset. I don't like anything that I've written except for what, what I'm currently writing. <laughs> It's, it's just true. I'll, I'll right. look at stuff. I'm like, this is awful. Um, <laughs> that's why I like navigate the cast is great. I rewrite a lot of things right. each, each year. Like I'm like, yeah. Oh my, like yeah. I just was working on it this morning for the next week. And I'm looking at some sentences. I'm like, Michael, this sucks. Just get rid of this. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think that the, the, this nurturing equanimity is going to be my best book yet. Um, the last one was good about, you know, embracing ambiguity. Uh, that. I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I want to do more with Navigate the Chaos and figure, I might write 12 monographs, like one for each of the 12, yeah. you know, strategies. Yeah. Because I'm basically just taking, I think there's like 30 in each. Those 30 posts, massaging them into a story and publishing that as a book. I, I don't know what the hell I'm yeah. going to do. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That so way when does your next book come out? Nurturing, I'm due to get that to the publisher in October. Okay. And I know like COVID had slowed things down. I don't know where they're at. So probably early January, February, March 23, I guess. Okay. And then um, the latest edition of Navigate, Navigate the Chaos is like when you put everything together is just under 800 pages. So I'll, that's usually out at the end of every, you know, I try to get it out by Thanksgiving. <laughs> if I can buy a nice dinner with the amount of money I make, that's fine. <laughs> yes. We, I just don't care. Yeah, we know. You know we, what I mean? We know. <laughs> we, we co-authored a couple of cookbooks. We know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. It's funny. Well, you know what? We'll let our audience decide. We're going to share your website. We're going to you. navigate the Thank chaos. You. Yeah. Get them on you. And, and just by listening to you, I'm sure they're going to be interested in everything you've done. That's right. Thanks. How could they not yeah. be? So. I appreciate so, it. You and know. You're, you're on Instagram. What share? Uh, yeah, Chaos Navigation is my Instagram. Yeah, and I'm just Michael Edmondson on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, but they only post Navigate the Chaos on Facebook. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, it, it's been so great to talk with you and to get to know you even a little bit better and to Thank you. to dig into your brain and yeah, yeah. it's been fascinating and wonderful. So. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And keep up the good work you two are doing and, you know, however we can collaborate in the future, you know, let's do it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Yeah. Our pleasure too. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Keep the conversation going at nourishcoaches.com and stay tuned for more Nourish Noshes as we continue our quest to make the world a healthier place.